Welcome to FutureX, the podcast where we look to solve the variable that is the future of Web3. Every week, we'll talk with some of the brightest minds in the blockchain and Web3 space, from top investors to founders and builders, paving the way for a decentralized world. So what is the future of blockchain? What will Web3 look like in 2050? Let's explore together. Welcome, everyone, to the FutureX podcast where we look to solve the variable that is the future. We call it the Future X. We're joined here by my co-host, Matt from Sin Futures and Jason Brannigan, investor at Wu Network. Jason, thanks so much for being here with us today. My pleasure, thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome, Jason. I think I might've mentioned earlier, but you're our first podcast so, oh, uh, guest. So, you know, really excited to have you here. No pressure, but we're looking to get some really interesting insights out of you. But let's start with a little bit of background on how you got into the Crypto Web 3 space and what your journey has been like so far. Yeah, perfect. Um, so I got into crypto originally in 2014, actually. Um, I was studying monetary economics at university uh, and my professor brought up uh, Bitcoin. Uh, and so that was when I first looked into it. Uh, I bought some Bitcoin around then. I think it was in the around three hundred dollars or something like that at the time, uh, mm. roughly. Um, and then ever since then, I've kind of been involved in in crypto, um, sort of on and off. So I, I was completed my studies. I then uh, got into traditional finance, managing a, a sort of five billion dollar pension fund uh, in twenty seventeen. And around the same time, um, you know, just got involved in crypto. Uh, more uh more fully basically in my spare time um and then the last few years you know basically it's been a second job to me uh to the point and then at the sort of earlier this year joined uh woo network full-time on the ventures team so it's definitely been uh, a big part of my life the last few years and even more so now 2014 uh, that you started to buy Bitcoin at 300. Yeah. So you hold, still holding those Bitcoins? I, <laughs> I, I, I don't actually think I am, to be honest. I think at the time I was a poor student. So I, um, that's why I'm probably not retired on an island right now. Um, so yeah, I, I bought, I think, at $300. And then I think I sold somewhere around $1,000. Uh, and then thought I was a genius uh, for a long time. Uh, and then, but I, I never kind of um, abandoned it really. That was like my first kind of uh, interest in Bitcoin. And then ever since then, I've just kind of generally uh, been involved with the system. So yeah, it was, unfortunately didn't uh, have enough capital to buy all the Bitcoins at that time, but not doing too badly of it. I, I remember my, my journey, my early journey into crypto actually um, started like uh, almost the same time. But I remember I sold something at 300 back in 2014. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, like, like, like you said, you know, luckily I bought it back. Um, so yeah, uh, today, uh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, I also sold Ethereum around 800. And I was kicking myself for quite a while about that, but it looks like I'm able to buy back into it. So, (laughs) (laughs) so Jason, like what drew you to Woo Network, you know, when you kind of started exploring, like investing from a professional perspective? Yeah. So I've, um, 
I was a personal investor, uh, yeah, not not in the private rounds, but in, uh, publicly in in Wu, um, sort of early twenty twenty one, right at the start of the year, uh, just before kind of uh, the Up Only podcast, where I think uh, Suzu mentioned Wu, and it it pumped from something silly uh like six cents or ten cents up to like uh 60 cents in like a few days um so fortunately it was just before that time um and yeah so uh, it's it's a company that i've always been familiar with always been very bullish on personally um i think they solve a really important part of the ecosystem which is ensuring that there's liquidity for institutional adoption um, and anyone can get uh, instant and good execution on their trades. And then, so I met some of the team at the end of last year and then subsequently had the opportunity to, to join Woo Network on the Ventures team. So uh, it's a bit of a, a dream job for me. Uh, may, may, may we know a little bit more about um, like overall, overall setup of uh, Woo Network and Kronos together? Yeah, absolutely. So Kronos Research, Research was founded in 2018. Um, and for those who don't know, they're one of the largest market makers uh, in the space. Um, I think during uh, last year, we were sort of doing up to sort of $10 billion daily volume. Uh, one of the largest market makers on DYDX, for example. Um, and then subsequently, the, the same founders uh, founded Woo Network as kind of a sister company in 2019. And so Woo Network is essentially a liquidity network, um, which allows exchanges to kind of plug in uh, and instantly expand their order book. And then on top of that, we have uh, WooX, a zero fee exchange, and WooFi, uh, which is kind of our, our DEX and swap feature. Um, and there's several other kind of uh, projects uh, in the in the near future coming out, but um, WooDAO is another one where we have 300 million Woo tokens, uh, and we look to to distribute that and allocate that to really boost the Woo ecosystem. Um, and so there's a lot of synergies between the the two companies. And personally, for me on the ventures arm, uh, it's kind of it's it's perfect because we have you know, in addition to kind of the usual value add, we get very involved with our portfolio companies post-investment, uh, helping out as much as we can. But then having obviously one of the largest market makers in crypto and uh, a deep liquidity network behind you is, is always helpful as well. Venture side, can you tell us a little more about kind of Wu's investment thesis? You know, do you guys consider yourself more as like a corporate VC structure where you're looking for strategic um, investments that complement Woo Network and Kronos, or do you approach it more as like a market agnostic kind of traditional BC style investing? Yeah, so it's it's interesting and it's a good question. So it's it's a uh, given that Kronos and Woo are sister companies. I actually sit uh, there's one ventures team, but we kind of represent both companies. So there's Kronos Ventures and Woo Ventures. Kronos Ventures is kind of, as you described, a more uh, traditional crypto native uh, VC, uh, obviously with the, the same kind of value add and, and strategic goals. Um, but Woo Network and Woo Ventures in particular uh, has a much more strategic focus and basically looks to purely invest mm -hmm. in, uh, in portfolio companies that can really help grow the Woo ecosystem specifically. Um, and in terms of deal flows, what 
you know, what is your approach to attracting like some of the best founders um, to consider an investment for Move? Is there anything you do on the community side that kind of helps bolster your venture investing efforts? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say um, we try and let our reputation kind of precede us in that sense where um, we're very much of the opinion if we put in uh, as much effort as we can helping our portfolio companies and really adding value to them, we create the reputation that we want uh, which just naturally leads to more deal flow uh, as you know founders mm-hmm. recommend us and things like that so that's super important and then also um, with the introduction of WuDAO over the last few months that's another area we're kind of investigating right now and really starting to develop in terms of getting our community involved uh, with helping portfolio projects um, you know whether that be through awareness um, having them come in present, to our community and then really um, having our community add value in different ways. So that's uh, through marketing or um, uh, really kind of achieving bounties and grants for certain portfolio <laughs> projects as well. And so, so I think it's kind of a multifaceted approach, but we really essentially try and genuinely, I know it's a, a kind of a meme for like uh, the VCs in crypto, but we genuinely try and add as much value as we can. And then we found that, you know, that's the best form of advertising you can have. Thanks. Um, and um, you, Jason, I think you, you, get, uh, you give a very, uh, I would say, comprehensive uh, introduction about the investment thesis. Um, now, um, may, may, may we also understand in this uh, current market situation, yeah, as many people say, uh, this is a bear market. Other people say things are going to recover in three to six months. Um, in this market condition, um, which area um, are you, you know, looking at? And then as a focus, um, specifically, anything has changed? Um, yeah, can you help? You know, share with us. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I won't go into like my macro views because <laughs> uh, whilst I have an economics background, I think that's something that um, is just so uncertain right now. I, I think anyone who has like a super high conviction uh, idea mm. of how, you know, macro in the world's going to look like over the next couple of years, I think, you know, they're just giving you their best guess, really. Um, I think it's <laughs> <laughs> it's clear that, uh, we're in fairly uncertain times. <laughs> and so how we approach that as investors um, is essentially to just keep doing what we do best, right? Our, our edge isn't as a macro fund. We're not looking to, to time the markets. We're looking to invest in the best founders, the best protocols we can. I would say that, you know, generally we've had quite a lot of discipline, not only um, since, you know, it's been clear that we're in a bear market, but actually since sort of uh, right at the start of the year um, when the market itself just generally looked kind of very late cycle, we've been a lot more disciplined in our investment approach um, and ensuring that, you know, we've, we've turned down deals where we really like a team, but the valuation just doesn't really make sense for us. Um, and so I think that's important. It's, it's kind of, you know, finding out what what your edge is and then sticking to it. So at the moment, we're actually deploying pretty much as normal. Um, as a business, Kronos and Woo um, 
you know, we're unaffected financially by any of the, the recent kind of um, ongoings in the market, which is, which, you know, we're very grateful for, um, but isn't also isn't an accident. You know, we've been very prudent with our approach generally as a company, and we reflect that kind of in our venture approach as well. When you say that, you know, it's your investing hasn't changed, is it the number of deals that you guys are doing, the cadence or just total capital deployed? I would say that in terms of number of deals and capital deployed, it probably has come down a bit slightly, but I think that's also a reflection on the market in terms of there's there's less activity going on generally, right? I would say when I, I say it's unchanged, what I kind of refer to is uh, the thesis-driven investing and investing in strong teams, strong founders, uh, where we think there's like, um, you know, a real uh, product market fit. Um, and I think that's what's super important because that's what's given us our edge um, since we've been founded is, is investing in those strong founders. Um, and so that's uh, something we'll continue to do despite market conditions. You, you didn't want to talk about micro, but actually we're very interested in your micro view, um, especially, you know, it comes from, um, you know, someone who studied microeconomics, um, you know, working in a top trading and investment firm, um, you know, we, we'd like to hear how you see the micro is going and how this may affect the crypto market and maybe, you know, save us from this bearish market. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll delve into it personally. I'd say that, you know, with the caveat that um, there's probably people with a lot, a lot stronger macro views than I have. Um, but from mm. a personal standpoint, I think, um, you know, as I said earlier, we're in very uncertain kind of unprecedented times. I think uh, personally, I think the, the traditional markets, uh, equities, um, probably still have um, some downside remaining, is my guess, mm. uh, kind of especially as like earnings and things like that uh, are repriced going into next year. Um, I do think that inflation is probably going to top in the next couple of months something like that maybe I, but i think we also in the meantime mm. are probably going to get uh, a couple more fairly aggressive uh, rate rate hikes i wouldn't be surprised to see uh, 75 bips or 100 bips from from the fed so what does that kind of mean for crypto i think the issue is at the moment we're in like a we're in a macro environment where liquidity is kind of being drained out of the system and crypto itself is very much um, liquidity driven. Now, you know, when I say liquidity, I'm talking, you know, kind of from institutional players and invest investors and things like that. So I think, you know, public markets, if, if crypto is completely disengaged from any of the macro environment, I would say like, it, you know, we could be fairly close to the bottom, but I, I think with the uncertainty, um, I think public markets for crypto could still face a few, uh, a few more months maybe of pain. Um, and then my, my kind of theory in the long run was always, you know, even if we go into a macro bear market for equities, I feel like crypto has the potential with the amount of innovation that's going on to really decouple from those markets. Um, and probably not on the way down, but sort of once once those markets start going sideways, I feel like um, it would be a good opportunity for institutions to start allocating to crypto and, and take advantage of that. 
Um, however, I'd say with the recent ongoings, uh, you know, with with Luna and and three AC and all the uh, the C DeFi uh, fallout, I would say that's probably harmed that thesis um, quite a bit, and we are seeing some. Uh, institutions start to kind of get worried about you know the contagion effect and things like that so all in all uh you know sorry it's not not like a particularly rosy picture um but I think ultimately you know when I talk about what our edges and things like that as investors and how do you act on that in a market you know as I said my edge isn't timing the market in a macro scale, you know, no one really knows what's what it's going to happen. There's so many uncertainties in the world, you know, who literally I, there's so many potential outcomes at the moment. It's, it's ridiculous. So as an investor, it's about finding strong, uh, strong products that will be here for years to come and just taking a bet on, on those and the founders behind them. And that's the real edge. And that's kind of like personally how I've approached my portfolio over the last few years. And it's how we kind of approach it from the venture side. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. we uh, during this market situation, um, let's say for from Sim Futures perspective, um, you know we we have seen um, maybe there there are other protocols or projects in the same sector um, start to have problems um, either in their product design itself um, that you know couldn't hold this market collapse or uh, let's say um, start to wind down because of poor treasury management. Um, so, and then we, 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 you know, we, we are here uh, for the long run, for the long term. Um, that's why um, in, in terms of, I would say uh, human capital and in terms of, I would say monetary capital, uh, we're, we're pretty well prepared, um, you know, to stick around for another five to 10 years and, you know, see the next, run um, and offer the you know a better product uh, to the market when it grows again. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, uh, I mean, from our perspective, we we deeply appreciate uh, Wu and Chronos a strong backing. Um, yeah, appreciate yeah, like, that. Likewise, and and I think it's an important point as well. And so no one can really tell how long the bear market is going to last. But what this does is actually provides clarity for. Um, you know, the market as a whole on which protocols are here for the long run, which protocols are sustainable and actually have product market fit. And so from that sense, you know, there's actually, you know, the, the market will tell you which, which one of those, uh, which protocols uh, will still be here. And so it provides a good opportunity to kind of start really narrowing down your focus and kind of identifying those opportunities. Um, and, you know, something I say is like when I joined, um, sort of woo and chronos uh the one of the questions i asked was you know what happens in a bear market and woo is is the exact same position very very strong like financially and, and things like that has many years of runway without any additional revenue at all um and even you know when i joined the the ventures team i asked that same question and uh it's it's actually viewed as an opportunity because we're not we're under no uh, issues financially, we can really take advantage as investors on uh, some of the opportunities which may present themselves, which wouldn't have been possible a few months ago. Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned <clears throat> contagion, contagion in the market with you know everything that's going on with Celsius, 
uh, you know, it's affected Voyager, obviously, 3AC, um, and even Babel Finance, right? Do you think we've seen the worst of it, or do you think this might be just the tip of the iceberg? Um, I don't necessarily think we've seen, whether we've seen the worst of it or not is probably, um, I, I think we've, we might have seen the worst of it in terms of the most shocking news. I mean, I think a lot of us were caught off guard by the, the severity of, the, of um, the issues that 3AC, for example, found themselves in and, and the extent to, you know, the contagion around that. I, I don't think it's over. I think we'll definitely see more uh, effects of that over the coming weeks and months. Um, whether we've seen the worst of it, though, is probably a bit more debatable. I, I tend to, my personal opinion is, I tend to think we've seen the worst of it, although not the end of it. Um, and I think, you know, the next few months will kind of really identify um, those companies that would never have really worked in the long run or have, you know, had bad management or risk practices and things like that. So I think in a sense, it's actually, it's kind of healthy for the market in the long run, although it's, you know, obviously painful in the short term. Uh, and we need to be very mindful how we kind of navigate that and ensure that, you know, um, on an institutional level, we kind of minimize those risks as much as possible. So I guess, what are you guys doing at Woo to kind of hedge risk against, you know, further potential downside uh, as we see kind of the rest of it play out? Yeah, so I think from, uh, so from the ventures point of view, as I mentioned, it's kind of business as usual, really. We're, we're not, um, you know, we're, we're not out there turning into a hedge fund, we kind of know our edge, it's to invest in good projects early on, right? You know, we're not, we're not looking to become a macro hedge fund and time the market. Um, and then as, as like a, uh, a company as a whole, um, you know, I think Woo itself is very well positioned, as I mentioned. So I think, again, it's basically business as usual, obviously, um, being very conscious of risks and, um, you know, business decisions. But overall, uh, you know, Woo is very strong as a company. And actually, we've we've even sort of continued to grow as a company over the last few months. And, um, you know, we're still hiring, we're still expanding uh, and seeing good growth uh, across the board. So I think from our point of view, um, we're about in, in as good as position that I, I think we could hope to be really. Um, and, and then we talk about this from a different angle, right? Um, you know, from a, you know, you, you're a VC investor from your perspective in terms of like advice to, uh, to founders, uh, to builders um, in this market, um, let's say, what would you, you know, advise them? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Um, I think the, the number one piece of advice would just be if you're a founder and you've got, um, you know, a great idea and things like that, there's still investors out there that are willing to, to support you and, and take that bet on you. Um, I mean, from our point of view as well, you know, another kind of um, secondhand benefit of the current market is it really identifies the, those founders that are in it for the right reasons. So if you're continuing to build um, and, you know, innovate in the current market, then it shows you're here for the right reasons. It's the type of founder we like to see. Um, not just, you know, those who might be like opportunistically raising in a hot market. 
Um, and then for those who kind of, you know, are um, existing and running protocols and things like that, I would say it's, you know, draw as much support as possible from your investors. So we're still very mm. active on the post-investment front. And actually, as, as it sort of quietens down on the deal front uh, slightly, we've kind of actually spent more time on post-investment. So for our portfolio companies, they've actually even seen some benefit in that front. So it's, you know, lean on, the, lean on your investors, lean on your resources. Um, and then I guess, you know, just ensure that you have enough runway uh, to, to operate over the next couple of years, just, just to make sure that you never want to be in a, a tricky position where, um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, you never want to be in a tricky position where you essentially become kind of like a forced seller, right? Uh, either whether that's through mm -hmm. equity or tokens, um, just because you need to raise capital and you're going to run out of runway in the next like couple of months that that's the position you want to avoid at all costs so it's just making sure that you know you're kind of prudent on that side and really taking this opportunity to um to generate as much value from investors and advisors as possible what about for founders who are just now starting to explore fundraising right what are some how like what are some ways they can navigate the current fundraising market uh, given the state of the market, I mean, we've seen later stage deals getting cut in valuation, which kind of mirrors the overall growth uh, sector, right? But for early stage founders, what can they expect as they start to have these conversations with venture capitalists? Uh, to give an example, right before this kind of market downturn, it's pretty common to see pre-product uh, startups raised at $30, $50 million valuation. Is this still realistic in this uh, market? And if not, how should they approach it? I think realistically, um, those type of deals are probably behind us for the foreseeable future. Um, I actually think that a lot of um, a lot of private market deals haven't even fully reflected in the market conditions right now. You know, we've seen uh, a lot of um, tokens go down 90, 95% you know some more and yet in private markets there's typically there's always typically a three to six month lag but we've kind of we've slowly started to see valuations come down um but i think that the good founders are actually still being kind of realistic about that right they're, they're not trying to raise at those um very high valuations anymore they're just they're looking to raise capital uh, at like a realistic valuation uh, and give themselves enough runway to build over the coming years. And that's kind of the important thing. I would say that generally as well, it, you know, I, I can't speak for um, other VCs, but for us as a fund, those were deals that we always avoided anyway, right? That those are kind of deals that um, never really made sense and i think a lot of the investors who might have been caught up in those type of deals aren't necessarily the investors you want in the long run uh for your protocol so it's it's you know i, th I think it's to actually have prudent investors um like back you i think is actually uh again i think it's a benefit for the the protocols in the long run because again that the investors are in it for the right reason they're looking to support you in the long term they're not looking in they're not looking for it just for like a, to make a quick buck. Um, so there's still investors out there who, who are, you know, deploying. Uh, and it's not just us. There's a lot of high quality investors still deploying. Um, and those are the ones 
uh, that you really want to look for. And I guess it kind of works the other way. Earlier I said, um, you know, the current market is identifying founders that are in it for the right reason. That works the opposite, where it, it identifies investors who are in it for the right reason also. I just wanted to add to uh, the fundraising part. Do you guys have like a shift in preference, like tokens versus equity? We're fairly agnostic, I would say. Um, being crypto native, um, we do like token deals, um, you know, just because that's, there's kind of a lot more flexibility around a token and, and uh, you can generate a lot of value accrual. Having said that, I think, you know, we're fairly agnostic uh, versus equity as well. We, we've taken both. We've taken equity deals, token only deals and, and a combination of, of the two. Um, so I would say like ultimately that isn't uh, too much of a concern. I think as you see more traditional uh, VC firms come into the crypto markets, uh, you'll see probably more equity deals because that's what they specialize in and they're less familiar with tokens. Um, and I think that's basically kind of what we've been seeing uh, over the past year as well as those kind of deals increasing. Um, but yeah, I think I think generally it's it's not a, a massive factor in whether we choose to invest or not. Thanks. Um, so Jason, let's rewind a little bit in time. Yeah, back to the 2014. Um, imagine, you know, that that's when you when you started, uh, right? And, and then so today uh, we got people with a lot of curiosity, uh, like as 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 newcomer to the crypto world. Yeah, and they want to try some projects and explore this. Um, so, you know, what's, what's your advice to them? Any interesting projects or um, like actions you would recommend them to do in, in, in this market condition? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's actually something that if you think about it, right, if, if someone who approaches crypto with knowing nothing about it's very it's a very difficult market to to get onboarded into uh, in the right way so I, I was having a conversation about this actually the other day where you know first thing you do like if you go into <laughs> these markets you check out twitter you check out youtube right and then to you know to be frank the those both of those mediums are filled with uh you know people just shill in their own bags pump and dumps <laughs> scams uh you know it's, yeah, right. it's really it's really difficult and so mm. i think you know people learn either through trial and error or through having like a mentor or a good group and so i think that's probably my number one piece of advice is kind of uh crypto the markets are kind of you know especially at the moment they're very like pvp right and so find a good group of people um, and there's lots out there. There's lots of public groups that anyone can join discords and things like that. Find a good group of people and just discuss markets and then find, um, find a group that, yeah, you can have open discussion with, ask questions and help them kind of, you know, approach it as a, as a unit rather than as one person, because it's very difficult. Um, so I think that would really be my number one piece of advice. Um, and then my, my second piece of advice would just be, to go on chain and just start playing with stuff. You, you don't need a lot of mm. money to go on chain, especially nowadays with, with the, uh, the all L1s, the L2s. You, you don't need a lot of money to go Even and, and you play around. Even uh, if reasonable ga ga gas <laughs> yeah. in terms of it, right? Yeah, I think it's yeah, reasonable now. Yeah. 
I actually saw, I think today, uh, Arbitrum was more expensive than mainnet Ethereum uh, because of the Arbitrum Odyssey. So yeah, it's yeah. it's it's definitely, but I think now is like a great time, as you said, to, to kind of just go in and just play around with things, try things out, and you'll very quickly form your own idea of what's user-friendly, what works, what doesn't, um, and then, you know, trust those instincts because that's kind of the experience that everyone else is having as well. Let's uh, look to the future a little bit. So as we come out of the bear market, right, whether that's a year from now, two years from now, you know, hopefully six months from now, what are some sectors where you see the most promise within the Web3 space? Like, what are some verticals that excite you in this type of market? Um, I think it's, yeah, it's an interesting question. I think ultimately, like, uh, DeFi is like the uh that the, has a strong place in my heart that's kind of where i see a lot of um potential in the future not just from kind of you know solving real world issues etc we've all kind of um seen a lot of those arguments before but in terms of making traditional markets more efficient um in how they're traded upon and you know how those how they can really how blockchain technology can really eliminate the middleman and, you know, in the finance industry, there's so much, um, <laughs> there's so many people out there that act as that middleman that really just uh, are sort of rent takers from, from that mm. cycle where, you know, they charge a fee and you're, you're basically there as like the trusted middleman, whereas essentially blockchain can come in and kind of remove that and you can still transact in a, in a uh, trusted way with a counterparty. So I think for me, that's kind of at the core of like what I believe in uh, and coming from traditional finance, you know, I've seen like many examples of where uh, crypto can really disrupt a lot of those industries. And so we as a fund kind of are really, we really love kind of infrastructure plays to onboard institutions into DeFi, mm -hmm. DeFi itself, um, not only for the, the kind of thesis uh, that I set out, but also with having uh, Woo Network and Kronos behind us, um, though DeFi is one area that we can typically add significant value to our portfolio companies. So that's, that's kind of really our main focus. We also like um, kind of GameFi in the metaverse, but we, we probably pass on like 99% of deals we come across in those areas just because I feel like we're, for those type projects, we're kind of in like the 2017 ETH ICO stage. That's like my personal opinion, where there's a lot of good ideas, there's a lot of promise, but then they raise, you know, ridiculous sums with no product and no, not the right experience to build out on that. And so we've, we've come across a couple of projects that are really promising, um, but I think kind of, you know, when we look back in five years at the kind of metaverse and game five projects that will be leading the industry, then um, I think very few will kind of be the ones that you can buy at the moment is my kind of honest, mm. <laughs> brutal opinion. Um, but yeah, those are kind of like the core areas that we, we're probably looking at as a fund. Got it. What are your, you know, you mentioned you're very interested in the DeFi space specifically the kind of on-ramp from institutional into DeFi. And so does that make you particularly interested in like, let's say CDFI, the central, you know, DeFi with a centralized component to it? 
Um, it's a it's a difficult question. I think I think it depends on what it is, right? I, I think there's certain um, there's certain parts of CD5 which have potential, but ultimately, you know, what what I'd love to see would be kind of more institutional self custody and things like that going forward, and and mm-hmm. use interacting in DeFi how it was meant to be used. That's kind of the ultimate goal. I think, though, we have to be realistic in the terms that, you know, a pension fund comes in, they've heard about crypto, their investment consultant is saying, hey, you should allocate 1% of your portfolio into this. They may not have any clue where to start. And so in that sense, that's where kind of like CDFI and and even just centralized approaches initially um, are really useful. Where you have to be careful is obviously, you know, we're seeing it at the moment. It's like perfect examples of like um, borrowing and lending uh, CDFI where essentially the centralized part are people taking too many risks or are not underwriting mm. those risks correctly. And so, you know, out of the recent kind of meltdown in crypto, generally it's it's if you assess the the cause of all of these issues, it's typically been a centralized source, right? It's kind of like human error or a failure um, to manage those risks correctly. So in a sense, I think whilst it's had sort of knock-on effects, DeFi itself has kind of operated generally how you'd expect it to, um, especially like the the blue chip DeFi um, protocols. So that's been something that's been really promising. And so I think CDFI does have a place. It definitely does. Um, but that's kind of, I view that more as like a tr- transitional, um, a transitional place. And then, you know, I mean, it's, it's not going away anytime soon, but I, if we reach a stage where these big institutions were self-custodying, um, you know, realistically, that's probably going to take at least a decade or two. So I think in the meantime, there's, there's uh, definitely a use for it. Yeah. To, to your point, I, I, I agree that um, you know CD5 will be a good bridge, right, to onboard more users to DeFi, mm-hmm. but ultimately, um, you know, it's a bridge, right? So um, we we also believe that the core value and the core innovation happen in DeFi itself, um, and then um, you know the after a period of you know user growth. Um, I think the 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 DeFi user themselves will be sufficient enough um, to you know have a large market. Well, in fact, um, even you mentioned uh, in some of the like centralized cases recently, like the potential bankruptcy of Celsius, um, it is specific specifically mentioned. If you hold a like a Celsius offered self custody wallet, um, then that money is yours. Yeah, no dispute at all. However, if you put it in a centralized custody, uh, you know that's going to take some effort um, and time. So that that that's definitely the way I think, not only for retail, but also for institutions as we you know gradually uh, approach um, you know uh, as we gradually you know go forward in this um, through this bridge, but ultimately reach the the, the goal of self custody and you know DeFi innovation. Yeah, definitely. And maybe like one extra point is, um, you know, for like the likes of pension funds, as I mentioned, that's kind of where my experience is. It's actually in practice, it's incredibly hard for a lot of those um, 
a lot of those institutions to currently self-custody. It's just, you know, even in traditional mm -hmm. markets, they they custody through like a, a custodian, um, which is basically just a, a big bank that they use. And so I think there'll always be a, a place for kind of CD fi and, and centralized venues. Um, but I think over time we'll definitely see more more uh, forays into DeFi from these these big players. Yeah, or maybe a more credible counterparty, right? Um, yeah. Like if you know the banks can um, be allowed to you know do some of these business, uh, I think that offers comfort for the institutional players to to place their money at. Yeah, definitely. Great. So let's wrap this podcast with one outlandish kind of give me your wildest prediction on what the world will look like in 2050 if this Web3 revolution is as big, becomes as big as we all think it will be. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I think I'll, I'll do like a, a couple of a couple of ones. So I think like firstly, if you talk about like metaverse and like GameFi, it's the most cliche one in the world, but sort of that Ready Player One-esque like metaverse. I think that's like something we'd all love to like experience, right? Um, and I think like there's actually potential to get there, but I, th I think that's that's like one that a lot of people um, give and it's, yeah, potentially a bit more, a bit less realistic, I'm not sure. Um, I think for me personally, um, the way I kind of see crypto evolving over time is I think people compare crypto to the likes of gold, right? They compare it to equities. They compare it to different risk assets. The way I see crypto, I don't view it as competing with gold, competing with equities. I view it as basically it has the potential to disrupt every asset class in the world. And the reason I say that is because there's applications of crypto and we're, we're starting to see it. There's applications of crypto in basically every traditional asset class, uh, whether that's fixed income, whether that is, you know, uh, tokens as a replacement for traditional uh, stock models. Uh, we're seeing it in real estate and tokenizing real estate and shares in uh, real estate funds, things like that. We're seeing it in the tokenization of infrastructure and making previously illiquid assets uh, liquidly tradable. And we're also seeing it in the likes of, you know, private debt and um, and things like that, where, you know, now instead of a business, um, it needs to raise capital. It, it can't necessarily go to the bank. Uh, it's too early stage. There's now many different avenues through DeFi where they can raise capital. And not only that, the, the general public can kind of participate uh, as well and kind of benefit in that transaction. So I think... The way I would see is basically, I don't see crypto, uh, you know, replacing the stock market or replacing it anything. I see it basically um, assimilating into all of those asset classes to the point where, you know, it's just a given that, that the underlying uh, technology and crypto will be a part of all traditional asset classes around the world, as well as having its own thriving kind of uh, token market. So I don't know if that's outlandish enough, but that's kind of the vision that I hope to see in the next like couple of decades for crypto. And I, I, I do think there's a, a good chance that we get there. So do you think, you know, all asset classes, you know, stocks, um, 
commodities, et cetera, will be tokenized to some aspect where they're all on chain in the near, in the, uh, in the future. I think, I think there's like a couple of aspects. So one is tokenization, right. And, and um, making a lot of uh, illiquid asset classes tradable more li- uh, in a more liquid way. I think that's kind of almost, that's like a, a simple, um, it's almost quite simple to do really like people are already doing that with a lot of asset classes pardon me i think the more the more wide uh disruption would be you have uh you know a company and instead of going through like an ipo they go through like a, a token launch and the reason i say mm-hmm. that is because you could essentially have non uh non-crypto native companies looking to launch through a token now Obviously, that that's like subject to a lot of regulation, security laws. It's not really kind of possible at the moment. But I'm thinking, you know, in in a decade to um, once that's kind of sorted out and there's more clarity, you have a, a non crypto native company launching through a token. And the the reason for that is, I mean, people complain about governance tokens, right? For companies, uh, for for yeah, crypto companies, um, a stock really like what utility do you get out of a, a stock? And that's coming from like a traditional investor. You gain a <laughs> dividend and, and you may not actually get a dividend. You know, Apple didn't pay a dividend out for, for years and years. And so you kind of own basically a share in that company um, that's kind of a promise of that share will be worth more in the future because the company grows and things like that. And actually, I think tokenization um, can really empower a lot of businesses to just add a lot of value and additional benefits um, to their, to essentially their equity and, and ensuring that um, not only are the end user more empowered uh, from the retail and investor side, but also like they can generate a lot more utility for their business and, and really think outside the box from that standpoint. So as I said, I think that's probably something that's not possible now due to security uh, regulations, but I think in the future, that's that's something I can definitely see happening. Um, and there's so many different applications of that and like other forms of disruption that can happen um, throughout traditional markets. And as a, a, you know, one further one, as I mentioned earlier, was that kind of removal of the middleman through a lot of these markets where mm. currently they're illiquid because you need to rely on a fund manager or a person in the middle to do the deal for you. So you invest in the fund, they then uh, invest in the underlying, um, you know, the underlying investments, wherever that may be and whatever asset class. Whereas actually with the use of crypto, you can sort of cut that middleman out and both sides benefit, um, you know, by not having to essentially pay the, the middleman, the, the rent out of that transaction. I hope that answers your question. I, I sort of went on a bit of a, a bit of a ramble <laughs> it, it, there, it but does. yeah, it does. I, I was personally hoping for a more dystopian answer. No, but this is a <laughs> perfectly valid <laughs> answer. Well, I, I was just going to wrap it up, but um, Matt, if you have you know something to add, feel free. Yeah, I was going to comment on, on Jason's point um, on, regarding the financial disintermediation. Um, you know, I also come from traditional finance background, used to trade equity, et cetera, FX, and then do risk management. Um, I remember the first time I read DeFi, um, it was about Uniswap. And um, to be completely honest, you have someone working 
in a financial, like in the TradFi world, would think this makes completely no financial sense. X uh, multiplied by Y equals to K, um, no financial sense. But this thing just works magically, yeah? And, and then um, I had to convince myself why it works, right? Why it works? Because initially Uniswap didn't even have a token to incentivize the transaction. Think about this. Um, then I realized the way it works is it completely cuts out the middleman, right? So on one side is the balance sheet lender and the other side are the, like, the, the, the traders, yeah, the transaction makers. And then there's no middleman and the price is you know, transparent. It just make both parties better off. Um, and that, that's the magic of DeFi, yeah? Exactly. Um, yeah, and Jason, to your earlier point, uh, yeah, I think you, you have a very big vision, yeah, in terms of this magic is going to go into every asset class. Wow. I, I look think forward so. to that. I hope so. That, that's kind of like, you know, is, is that 100% guaranteed? Definitely not. Um, but that's kind of the hope. And I think there's a lot of skeptics and like a lot of crypto natives who kind of just think that crypto will always be like this internal uh, casino or whatever as they, they would call it. Um, but I think, you know, with this cycle, we've really seen a lot of big steps um, and a lot of protocols making that connection to real world assets. And I think that's kind of where I see a lot of innovation happening in the future. And I think it's kind of inevitable that that will definitely be explored further, regardless of the markets. So that's where I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we continue to see growth. Awesome. Thanks. Great. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. That's Jason Brannigan, investor at Wood Network. Thanks again for being here. And if you have any last words for the audience, feel free. No, thank you very much for having me. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, thank you very much, everyone. Thanks for listening to the FutureX podcast. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this episode. 